hey folks, mark your calendars because on April 27th, we'll be launching our new book, which is of course titled Love as a Business Strategy. Visit loveasabusinessstrategy.com for more info and sign up for a chance to get a free copy. And if you're interested in bringing love as a business strategy to your organization, we are now offering free mini sessions of our globally resonant Seneca Leaders training experience. These mini sessions dive into three topics to help begin transforming leadership behaviors and influencing culture for the better. Space is limited, so visit softway.com events to learn more and RSVP now. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Love is a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business. We want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. And I'm your host, Jeff Ma. I'm a director at Softway, a business to employee solutions company that creates products and offers services that help build resilience and high performance company cultures. I'm joined today by my team members, Mohammed Anwar, President, CEO of Software Hey Mo. Hey, everyone. And Chris Petrie, Vice President of Software. Hey, Chris. Hello. And Frank Dana, Director at Software. Hey, Frank. My gosh, Jeff. So good to see you, man. So, so good to see you. <laughs> so you. good to hear your voice. Very that's, excited about today. That's the kind of welcome I was looking for. Mohammed, Chris, taking notes, hopefully. So we're joined by a very special guest today, our, our star of the show, uh, I'm going to waste no time introducing is Javon McCormick. He's president and CEO of Scribe Media. Welcome, Javon. Man, don't come at me with that star of the show. I, I'm star here. Star show. <laughs> I just stumbled <laughs> across the podcast and say, hey, I'm come. <laughs> picked up some headphones. It was so like, why Jeff's is computer notes, on? If you start introducing me like you just did to Javon, I would be more warmer in my, in my reply. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, we're all learning a lot already, and so we're only two minutes into this show. But You're welcome. Yeah. Javon, thank you. You are the star of the show. We wouldn't even be recording this if you were not here. That makes you the star of the show so welcome welcome to the show how are you today how are you doing and i'm excellent always excellent if you wake up in the morning your feet hit the ground you got to be excellent awesome i love it so i'm not going to do your introduction justice so i'd like you if you don't mind to maybe give yourself as long or short of an introduction as you like introduce the audience who are you and tell tell me a little bit about scribe as well Jeff, you know how loaded that question is. I mean, <laughs> no part of open ended. Like, oh, introduce yourself. I'm like, okay, which part? I mean, what's your favorite color? Just kidding. Pink. Okay. We start. <laughs> now, now, we now, should build, now let's build on that. What else you got? Uh, man, I, okay. So yeah, I'm the, Javon McCormick, President, CEO uh, of Scribe. I give you a little bit of background about Scribe. We, wow, gosh, well, we've been in business six years now. Uh, we've worked with over 1,900 authors. A lot of the big names, you know, uh, David Goggins, uh, the Nobel Peace Prize Committee. We've worked with Tiffany Haddish. Uh, so, yeah, some some of your bigger names out there. One of my favorite, uh, for a quality point of view, was the Nobel Peace Prize Committee. I, I've made the joke. 
uh, numerous times that, hey, if our quality is good enough for them, nobody else can complain. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but hey, we, we've reached the pinnacle. We, we worked with the Nobel Peace Prize Committee. Uh, but the great majority of our authors are CEOs, executives, founders, business coaches. And, and then we've got a small segment of people who also do their books for legacy pieces, which are my favorites. Actually, why I did my book. Uh, to have a legacy piece for for my kids, so that's that's me. That's that's a little bit about Scribe, man. If you you want to go down into the the basement of my background, it's a whole different conversation. But we'll we'll keep it there for right now. <laughs> I want to go. I want to go. Feeling, can I, can you, uh, you want to go to the basement? I want to go, Javon. Let's go. I, oh, you want to go? I feel like we're going to get there for sure. All right, all right, okay, I want, okay, I want to, okay. I want to set just high levels. I'm going to high level set the context, and then we're going to just unleash. So. You know, we at Love as a Business Strategy are always looking at business leaders, business cultures, behaviors of leaders within business, and how they impact the bottom line, how they impact, you know, everything. And it's at the core. We Love as a Business Strategy is our core belief, and we want to bring humanity back to the workplace. And we've had, you know, at Softway, we've had the pleasure of working with Scribe. And we, we've worked with your team. We've worked with you and, and, and just seeing a lot of parallels in love as a business strategy, what we believe in, the passion we have. And we always find it so interesting because we are unique. No company is like any other. And, you know, the way we approach it is one way. And we love meeting and engaging with other organizations that have developed their own version, their own brand, their own flavor of what we call love as a business strategy and others just call their values, their principles, their culture, whatever. And so I really wanted to have this opportunity to have you on the show today and really just pick your brain and hear stories around, you know, what, you know, your, your beliefs around culture are your beliefs around the value of kind of what, what that brings to the workplace. And I invited, of course, Muhammad, Chris and Frank to join me here today because you know, we really, we really have this strong passion for this. And I'm, I, I know that we're, we're just going to have a lot of fun picking your brain around how that looks at Scribe and helping connect that to what we see every day. Cause we we're so, you know, narrow, we only see one side of things sometimes. And we, we love experiencing those different versions of it. So that's the context for today. Other than that, I have no other agenda. So, you know, Frank, if you want to go in that basement right now, that's on you. That's your choice. Javon, any, choice? anything to add to what I just set up there from your no, perspective? No, man. Let's, let's uh, make it happen. Frank wants to go into the basement. He may not come up, but we can go down into the basement. Let's <laughs> see what happens. Let's see what let's happens. Start. I'm excited. Okay. Let's take one step into the basement. What are we talking about here? Uh, hey, Frank, you, you lead. I will follow, man. So I'd love to know more about kind of where where you came from and what that what that story of you becoming president and CEO of Scribe really looks like like give us give us that kind of that walkthrough show us a little bit about how you got to where you are today all right so so uh we'll we'll go high and then if we want to like I said we want to go further down the steps we we can go down there um I, I had shared with Jeff and Chris when we we talked a while back man um I came in the world in, in some unique circumstances. My, my dad was a, a black pimp and drug dealer back in the 1970s, and he fathered 23 children. So I'm one of 23. And my, my, and when I say pimp, you know, we, we twisted the word in, in our society. You know, now we use pimp as a positive, you know, pimp my ride, pimp my apartment. And, and no, my dad was a real life pimp. He put women on the street corner. They sold their bodies. He took every dollar. And my mother, 
Uh, my dad's black, my mother's white, and my mother, she was an orphan. She was raised in a 1950s institutional orphanage. When she was 17 years old, they gave her $20, a small suitcase, said, good luck to you, there's the world. She had never been outside of those four walls. And unfortunately for my mother, one of the first people she met was my well-dressed, quite a bit older, fast-talking father. So that's what what I came into the, the world to. Um, I mean, if we're going to get really detailed and go down, we'll go down a few more steps in the, in the basement. I am a, uh, a product of an abortion, if you will. Uh, my mom, uh, back in the day when she got pregnant the first time, she had an abortion and it was back, back then it was illegal. Abortion was illegal when she had her first one. So what ended up happening the second time she got pregnant, I, I think about this, the abortion was so bad she had it in a back alley. It was illegal. Uh, it was so bad the first time. The second time she got pregnant with me, she chose to have a kid versus then have the abortion again. And, you know, so and I'm, I'm OK saying this. You know, my mother, given her circumstances, should not have had a child. Uh, one of the greatest things she ever did, though, was she had one. She didn't have any more. She didn't go have six more afterwards. She's like, OK, one and done. Shouldn't have had this one. Um, but. Man, I uh, I was raised on welfare. I've eaten out of trash cans. Uh, you know, I I've been in juvenile three different times as as a, as a kid. Uh, when I graduated high school, I never graduated. I had a GED. Had to go to summer school to get my my GED. But it says high school diploma, so damn it, I got a high school diploma. But um, <laughs> but if we're keeping it real, it's a GED. Let's <laughs> so, go. Let's go. Um, I have no college degree and. You know, obviously, there's a, a lot in between there as well. But you asked how I how I got to, to mm -hmm. Scribe. Yeah. I was the uh, prior to joining Scribe. I was the president of a software company. At that software company, when I joined, I was employee number thirteen. There were only thirteen of us, and I used I, I started as the lowest paid person in the company. I was the sales guy, and I sat in a storage closet making my calls on a fold out metal chair. Two and a half years after joining the company, I became the president and we ended up going on to scale that company to God, well over 100 people. We had offices in Austin, Houston, Dallas and Monterey, Mexico, and it all started from a storage closet. When I was there, I, was start, I started traveling a lot and I had two kids at the time. Now I have four, but I had two kids and it hit me one day. Wow, something happened to me. My, my children wouldn't know where I came from. They wouldn't know my background. They would not know that to this day, I don't know where my last name comes from. I have my mother's last name. She received that last name in the orphanage. No clue where, why. So I've got this last name. Still don't know where it comes from. Um, so I decided to write my book. Reached out to my network. Got introduced to the two co-founders of, of Scribe. And as... I started going through my book process. Um, Tucker, he he met with me at my office at, at the software company, and he says, "Hey, when you when you're going through our process, can you give us feedback? Uh, you know, you you've built an amazing company here at the software company." And I say, "Hold on, man. No one person ever builds a great company. It, it takes a, an incredible team of people to build a great company." So what you see here is not the direct result of me. It's the direct result of a lot of great people. And so he goes, man, yeah, could you give me feedback? And, and they were 13 months old at the time, Scribe was. 
So I get my first email from, from the company from Scribe and I call Tucker up and I'm like, hey, you still want that feedback? And he's like, yeah. I said, okay. I go, this is good. This is good. I don't know what you were thinking here. Stop this shit immediately. And don't you ever send something out like this again. <laughs> Just a little bit of good. And then the yeah. rest is it. And, yeah. and he said, you got all that from an email? I go, yeah. He, and he says, hey, would you sit on our advisory board? And I said, mm, why not? Uh, went to, sat on the advisory board, then got invited to an executive meeting. Uh, then Tucker and Zach invited me to Starbucks. And they sat me down. They go, like, hey, if we give you a ton of equity, would you become the CEO of the company? <laughs> and, I'm, and, and, I, and I'm sitting there and I'm going, I literally, this was my thought. I go, wow, I've been the president of a software company and I can't write code. I can be the CEO of a publishing company. I can't spell and I can't tell you an adverb from an adjective. God bless America. I am dead. And, and so, so I, I put that became, on a t-shirt. Man, I became the, the, the CEO of uh, Scribe. Now, here's what's real funny, man. Now I'm the largest equity holder of Scribe. And so, man, a great run. Here we are five years later. And, and like I said, we've uh, accomplished a lot. And it's a uh, matter of fact, we just uh, we're in the process of signing the lease to expand another 13,000 square feet into the office space. We'll have about 25,000 square feet under the roof. But uh, yeah, man, it's a uh, li life is excellent. Wow. I, I have one awesome. question for you. Yeah. After all of that, just one single question. <laughs> um what did you order at Starbucks that day when they asked you to be president? So, yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you, and I got a story for that too. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I ordered a vanilla latte and, and, and here's what's funny. If you want to hear something really funny. Um, okay. When I was 23 years old, I moved to Portland, Oregon, and I was the vice president of a, a payday loan company. And next door to one of my, uh, payday loan companies. I had three of them in Portland. Next door was this little coffee shop. That was 23, man. You know, again, z damn near zero education, uh, just was not in tune with the world. So I go into this, this coffee shop and I see this massive chalkboard with all these different drinks you can order. So I, I say to the lady, I'm like, can I have a vanilla latta? And she goes, <laughs> what? I said, the vanilla latte. And she goes, that's a latte. And I go, oh, yeah, that too. Give me one. <laughs> but, um, my, my point being is, man, uh, I there was just a lot that I, I learned along the way that I, I just never knew. I never had a chicken breast until I was 15 years old, man. So, um, you know, everything's been really self-taught as, as I've grown up. So there you have it. That it's brilliant. I was kind of joking, and that was an amazing, amazing story that you kind of brought in. And 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 I actually I do want I do want to go back to to some of the things that you learned as you progressed through you know your your life. Um, I want to ask you some of those lessons that you took from the moments in your life and how you've been able to apply those now in your role at Scribe and kind of where you see that taking your organization. What are some of those those moments? that you've been able to apply to organizational culture? You know, one of the biggest ones, um, 
This actually, someone just asked me this question yesterday, so it's fresh on my mind. I, I was on a, a Bloomberg event yesterday, and the the word was empathy, and okay. and they asked where did I learn empathy, and I, I don't think Bloomberg was ready for this, <laughs> and, and, and I We're said, ready. I said, We're well. Ready. Um, my lesson came in a really interesting place. I said, uh, you know, my, my dad was a pimp and when I was nine years old, I'll never forget this. Uh, my dad took me out and I was collecting uh, money from prostitutes with him. And we came to the first prostitute and I mean, I'll never forget this. It, it was, uh, it was cold outside. We were in my dad's, uh, red Cadillac, Cadillac Eldorado Baritz and, and, uh, man, he loved that car. It was candy apple red on the outside. The leather seats were candy apple red and, and no bullshit. The carpet was candy apple red. And so <laughs> you you did not move in this car. You sat there and, and he loved that car. And I'm convinced he loved it more than his children. But we go to the first prostitute and she hands through a, a big stack of money. And she says, hey, I, I made my count. Can I come in? And my dad's like, no, 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 real encouraging. Just, no, 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 you're, you're killing it. You're doing great. Get back out there. I'm proud of you, girl. And we, we roll up. He said, I'll come back around. And we, he rolls up the window. We, we drive off. And we come up to the next prostitute. And she hands her stack of money in. And it's quite a bit less than the, the first prostitute. And my dad loses it. Every derogatory word you can think of, he used it. Get your get back out, get my mind, blah blah blah. And you you see she starts crying. And and he rolls up the window, we drive off. And I remember in that moment, I'll never forget this. I thought to myself, this is where I really learned my first lesson of empathy and entrepreneurship simultaneously. I remember thinking to myself, okay, I wonder if I treated the prostitutes better, also let them keep part of the money. Could I make more money in volume because more prostitutes would want to work with me, not for me, with me, because I'm nicer, they keep more of the money, and I'd make more money because all the prostitutes would want to come work with me. Then I took it next level and I said, ooh, competition is going to be angry at me because I'm going to start taking other pimps prostitutes. And at nine years old, that was my first introduction to empathy on how do you treat people better and entrepreneurship on how do you scale a company? Hmm. Wow. They don't teach that on Sesame Street, that's for sure. Yeah, they, they, I, 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 from, from what I've been told, they also don't teach that at Harvard. <laughs> Good point. So Sesame Street to Harvard, somewhere in between, we got Javon. Um, man, I, I, I have another question for you. I'm wondering, um, have you ever struggled with imposter syndrome? Oh God, man, shit, uh, damn near my whole career. Um, you know, I never had, I, I don't have a college degree. So I was always in awe of people who had their, the credentials, the, the, you know, they went to, I mean, think about Tucker, our, our co-founder, Tucker went to the University of Chicago and Duke Law School. I'm like, damn, wow. And it was interesting. He was the first person that told me, he said, um, it's actually a great thing. He said, it's a blessing you never went to college. I was like, how's that? And he said, because your mind didn't get clouded with all the BS that they teach you in there. He goes, <laughs> your mind stayed focused on truly from a beginner's mindset. Well, that doesn't make sense. Why are you doing that? Why do we do this? And he said, you will ask a question for everything. But yeah, man, I, for, I would say up until 
I got to uh, scribe. Yeah, I, I suffered with imposter syndrome my, my whole career, especially think about it, first time president of a software company and I can't write code. Mm. And so it's like, okay, are they going to like figure this out that I don't write code, but we're a software company. And, and I remember there were people in there who had two master's degrees in computer science. And I, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, so one wasn't enough. You figured you had to get two or <laughs> at least, <laughs> uh, at least. Yeah. I, I totally suffered from uh, imposter syndrome and, yeah. and, and even more. So what doubled up for me is I never wanted you to know who I was. I never wanted you to know that my dad was a pimp and had 23 kids and my mom was an orphan. I don't know where my last name comes from because it's like, okay, who's going to want to hire that guy? Who's going to want to sure. date that guy? So, yeah, imposter syndrome was was rampant with me. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. We're... <laughs> We're uh, there's a side chat happening, and I want to bring I want to bring light this side, bring to light the side chat. So, we're talking about how Muhammad also um, was the the president and CEO of a software company, and Muhammad, you know some code, you can code a little bit. Right? Uh, I let's just say I'm better at uh, you know speaking theoretically about code, but I I suck at writing code. I will tell never you mind. That. Okay, yeah. he can't write code either. There you go. Man. Look at that. Yeah. Look at that. There you go. I tried to help you out. I gave you like so a, much a little bit. There's not even. So, wow. um, so Javon, I wanted to, um, I guess, talk about something that I read about Scribe, you know, um, a while back, and it still sort of st stayed with me. And <clears throat> it's something that a lot of companies don't really think about. And you know, and us working uh, inside of the DNI space, we talk a lot about like all the different elements of DNI, especially socioeconomic status. And you sort of sharing that you've grown up on welfare. One of the things that I read about Scribe is that you have a fund that your employees can go to, ask for uh, no interest, you know, no questions, and sort of get access to cash when they're in a bind, when they're in a pinch. Um, and you guys have put this aside for that very reason. Um, and I just thought that was like really, really interesting. And when you talk about love as a business strategy and really including people, I was just amazed that, you know, there's organizations out there that are doing things like this. So I would love to learn more about sort of that, you know, and of course, whatever else you want to share. But it was just super fascinating to me. Well, so first, Chris, and you're going to get mad at me, you'll probably disconnect me when I say this, but you and I talked about this, man. You cannot yeah. shorten the word. You cannot use DNI. <laughs> you got to say it, man. Say it. Yeah. it diversity, diversity and inclusion. There you go. There you go. So many people have shortened that because it was like, ooh. I don't want to say it, but it, 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 you sound um, it, when you say DNI, people are like, okay, that's, that's, that's a little easier to sound. Okay, yeah. DNI. <laughs> but when you have to say diversity, like, oh, hell, I got it. Diversity. <laughs> oh, people of color. Oh, God. No, no. And so uh, now, it, from the our emergency fund is what we call it. I read an article that said 45% of Americans don't have a spare $400 in cash in case of an emergency. And when I read that immediately hit me because I grew up that way. You know, I, I remember the electricity being turned off, the water being turned off, not having enough food. I, I, I used to make the joke that the, the four basic necessities 
my mom and I never had at the same time. Money, food, water, electricity. We were always missing one or two of those and sometimes three. And it, I, I knew what it was like to eat from a trash can because you didn't have enough money for food. And so it really bothered me when I read the article. I thought 45% of Americans don't have a, a spare $400 in cash. And so then I, I looked at our, our company and I'm like, you know, this is crazy. We're, we're a profitable company. We have no debt, no loans, no outside uh, investment. There's no VC money. There's no private equity money. And, and again, we're profitable. So we, I, I always make the joke. I said, we're the real damn unicorns. Now we work Uber, Lyft, they have never made a damn dime. Um, and so I said to myself, this, this is ridiculous. Let's put an emergency fund in place mm -hmm. for the tribe members. No questions asked. If someone comes to, to uh, our, our uh, head of people and says, hey, I, I need $1,500, no questions asked. We, we uh, lend them $1,500 interest-free. They don't have to start paying it back for 60 days. And then they make payments uh, as they get paid $250 uh, out of each check. So, uh, but what was important for that is for people to have peace of mind to where, you know, we've got some single parents. We, we've got people out there who live in Austin, but their family lives somewhere else. And for people to have that peace of mind that, you know what, if something goes wrong, the company's got me taken care of. You said, um, you said tribe members. I'm wondering what are those? So we don't, we don't say employees, even, even when I was at the software company, I don't do the word employees. The, the reason why, in my opinion, uh, corporate America has destroyed my opinion, the word uh, employees, because employees became expendable. You know, you, you read about a company laying off, you know, 5,000 people. We're laying off 5,000 employees. And I, I don't see the word as putting people first. It's, it's almost like, okay, things are going sideways. What's the first thing we can cut out of here? Oh, people. Well, then you can't say you put people first when the first thing you're trying to cut is people. And, and so, uh, employees it, it became the world. We're, we're laying off 5,000 employees. So at the software company, we were a team. Here we're a tribe. And so I just don't do the word uh, employee. So we, we call ourselves uh, tribe members. And what's interesting about this for, for us, we, we've had people question us and say, well, I, you, you shouldn't use that. And I'm like, go look at the word tribe. Stop trying to associate it with the, the natives of the country and that. Yeah, go go look and research the the actual definition of tribe. Uh, so that's what we call ourselves is a, is a tribe. We don't do employees. Wow, I'm exceptionally intrigued by all these little kind of culture tidbits because you know, I, like we, you know, culture is not a ping pong table or a coffee machine or a, a special yeah. perk. It's it's how we it's how we treat each other, right? And so, do you have you know, I'm just really curious, just within your walls, how do, how are, how are you as CEO kind of um, molding the behaviors or making like, what have you have and what have you put in place that helps the tribe really treat each other with that, that love and respect or dignity that you're, you're talking about here? So I'm, I'm a big uh, fan of 
language. I'm very intentional about words. It's funny, you know, growing up mixed race, I've always said to people, you know, black people didn't like me because I was half white. White people didn't like me because I was half black. I said, you want to have a race discussion? Hey, come over here. We'll (laughs) we'll, we'll talk about some some race. But um, what I realized, and as a kid, I hated this. I used to hear people say, oh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but but words will never hurt me. I'm like, the hell they won't. You know, try getting called half-breed. Uh, try hearing your, and I, excuse my language if we need to beat this out, but try hearing your mother get called nigger lover and, and, and somebody spitting in her face. You know, the words hurt. And so I, I'm very intentional, although I have a limited vocabulary, I'm very intentional with the words that I use. So to your point, how, how do we use those words internally? I'll give you an example. No one, no one works for me. People work with me. No one in this company works for me. I'm no one's boss. And, and in fact, uh, we don't have direct reports. You know, you go to most companies like, oh, who's, who's your direct report? You know, who, who, who do you report to? Mm-mm. If you are in leadership, you are nothing more than a support system. So you are a direct support. So if you're speaking to someone, you say, hey, who's your direct support? That's it. So for me in, in leadership, my role is to support the organization. And, and matter of fact, if you go to most companies about us page, first thing you see, C-suite executives, founders, chairmen, CEOs, first thing you see that pops up, you go to our website, you go to the about us page, I'm at the very bottom, and it's it's so intentional. The reason being is two, two reasons. One, I want you to actually see all the people who do the work long before you make it down to me. So that's one reason. Second reason is if, as the CEO, your role is to support the organization. You are the foundation of support. So I'm at the bottom because I support all those people who are above me, not below me, who are above me because they're the ones executing on the work. So it's very intentional. Myself, uh, the two co-founders, all at the bottom, all the leadership is at the bottom of the page because we are the support system for the organization. So we're very intentional about the the words we use, how we operate, Um, like I said, direct support. Here's one. I feel that all companies should should adopt this one. How many times have we heard companies say uh, customer service is uh, customer satisfaction is is our number one priority. Employee satisfaction is our number one priority. Now think about this for a second. The word satisfaction. If my wife is at girls night on Friday and someone says to her, hey, how's your husband? I satisfactory. I'm going to be a little upset. Okay, I'm just putting that out there. I'm going to be a little upset. I don't want my wife to feel satisfied. I want her to be fulfilled. I would, oh, my, my husband, he's so enjoyable. He's, he's great. I don't understand how the bar is satisfactory. Satisfaction is our number one priority. So we, we want people to be fulfilled. We want people to enjoy their work. I mean, imagine if my, my kids said, yeah, my dad's satisfactory. He's all right. You know, I know. (laughs) I don't don't want that. Uh, So I I just find it interesting, the words that we use, 
to engage with one another. Here, here's, here's one more. This one's really important to me. So true, true story. Um, I kept hearing the, the, the tribe say, oh, yeah, you know, we need to hire someone for that. You know, that's a low-level task. And, hey, we, we got a few low-level tasks over here that need taken care of. And I kept hearing this. And then finally, I said, it was a Friday. I said, okay, everyone, come together. Matter of fact, even, even call in the people who are uh, working remote today. Call those people in, too, because we're, we're bringing this all together. And I said, okay, has everyone seen me take out the trash before? I said, I know some of you new people may have not have seen this, but... Some of the some of the tenured folks, you've seen me take out the trash. Everybody says, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. You've seen me clean up the storage closet. Yes, I've seen it. I go at conferences. You all have seen me on my hands and knees ironing the the uh, the, the the booth cloth that goes over the table. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Okay, I said. So then, someone please tell me what the hell a low level task is because I don't know what that is. <laughs> Come on now, and, let's and, go. And, and, and I said. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what's go, real. Man. Here's what's real crazy. So I took it next level. I said, now I want you to think about this holistically. If you hire someone and you tell them that their role and responsibility is low level, how dare you ever expect them to perform at the highest level? Because you just told them their role is a low level task and duty. No, there's no low level. There's no high level. There are strictly tasks, duties, and responsibilities. That's it. And if that trash over there, where a lot of people look at it as a low level task, let it overflow for two weeks and then tell me how damn low level it is. <laughs> that reminds me of Muhammad's fridge email. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't, we don't John, have enough I, time for that. I, I have a question. So, how do you bring about accountability in your tribe? How are you using your philosophy and how do you, how do you manage that? How do you make sure people are accountable? Uh, one, of, one of our principles is ask questions. Uh, for me, you know, I've, I've kind of given you the, the background. There's, there's no college degree. There's, you know, so my, my whole career has been built on asking questions. And so in, <clears throat> in holding people accountable, it's the way I see this is people should feel comfortable making mistakes. Mm. And, and I, I'm not a fan of, again, I'm going back to my intentional words. I'm not a fan of the phrase fell fast. For me, I've been trying to learn faster my whole damn life. I don't want to fail fast. Who the hell wants to fail fast? And, and I get the intent and I understand what that. Nah, no, I want to learn faster. And, and here's here's something that's that's really mind blowing for, for me, Muhammad. And, and I'm, I'm going to answer your question, I promise. <clears throat> we have the nerve to, to say to people, we learn the most from our mistakes. Everyone's heard that. Oh, you learn the most from your mistakes. But but follow me here. Go to LinkedIn, go to any blog post. And here's what you see. Uh, top five reasons Jeff Bezos became successful. Top 10 things that Elon Musk does to be successful. Where's the damn top 10 list of mistakes? I need that list. No one shares their mistakes. But we have the nerve as a society to say, oh, 
you learn the most from your mistakes. Well, then can someone please, damn it, share your mistakes? Because <laughs> I, I don't get that. So, so here internally, look, we tell people up front, mistakes are going to happen. Here's the key. Learn, grow, and don't repeat the mistake. That's it. Yeah. When someone makes a mistake, you you don't you don't call them out publicly. You don't embarrass them. You don't berate them. You don't de de degrade them because they made a mistake. You you sit with them. You have a conversation. You you learn and understand. Okay, how do you feel this mistake happened? And then as you go through it, you you teach it just like this. We don't train. Here's another word I don't do. I don't do training. You train your body. You train a horse. You train your dog. Here we teach, coach, and mentor. It, it train, we don't put on lug nuts all day. That's that's not what we do. We teach, coach, and mentor. Go go to the gym, train your body. So when when mistakes happen, the what we want to do is is coach you through that, teach you not to not to repeat the mistake. Uh, but accountability is 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 huge. We don't um, we don't micromanage. There's no set hours. If you come in at 9.30 in the morning, great, good to see you, how you doing? If you come in at 1 p.m. in the afternoon, good, great, how you doing? There, there's, there's, we, we pride ourselves that we have hired adults with the expectation that you are going to perform in the role that you, in which you are earning a salary for. Notice I said earning a salary for. No one here receives a, a uh, pay raise, you earn a salary increase. Got it. No, I appreciate that, John. Thank you for that answer. No, that's, that's super interesting. Um, so I know you have an interesting philosophy on working from home and I, it's going to be somewhat controversial, I'm sure for some people, but you know, I love controversy. I, I, Real Housewives of Atlanta and uh, Potomac are my thing. So I'm, <laughs> all in to have some <laughs> have some drama brought into this discussion all right um i personally i've, I've said this long before the virus disruption i think fully remote is bullshit if if you are 100 fully remote you have a culture with your home office your living room your bed wherever you're working from remotely that's who you have a culture with. You don't actually have a culture with the people you work with. Yeah, you share some, uh, some Zoom time, and, and but I don't care what technology you're using. We use Slack. We use Zoom. You know, what, what, insert technology. What's, what's empowered us and enabled us to become the number one company culture in America, which Entrepreneur Magazine named us, uh, the number one company culture in America, it's the it's the culture and the tribe and that consists of putting people first and supporting the whole self of each of the the tribe members you can't do that fully remote and, and i i've said that to the two co-founders since i first started i said yeah this this fully remote thing mm -mm. it's it, one we're too young as a company we're moving too fast and we have to support the, the individuals that we work with. Now, if you're 3M and you're this massive conglomerate and you've been doing this for 100 years, yeah, okay, you, you could do the fully remote thing. But let, let's be honest with ourselves. 
Don't tell me that uh, Jill or Steve, that's fully remote. Don't tell me, and they're a big part of our culture. No, they're not. They're, they're a part of their culture at, the, at their house. So I, I fully re remote, yes, it can work. I'm just saying from a culture perspective, don't tell me they're a part of your culture. No, they're not. Wow. Have you seen, have you noticed um, over the past year um, any sort of uh, like like cultural issues or things that have arisen as a result of that to kind of prove out your point here in regards to the way people are working, moving fast, doing that stuff? Have you started mm -hmm. to notice more of those things happening as a result of that that kind of like, you know, emboldens your mission to, to keep people connected physically? I, I'd actually say on the other side, on a positive uh, the proof point became because we've never been fully remote, remote, nor have we ever been, everyone needs to be in the office at 8 a.m. The, right. the key to all of this, again, my opinion, what's worked for us is a dynamic culture. And, you, and you're starting mm -hmm. to see people are catching up with this. Now every, everyone's an expert and they're like, yes, it's it's a combination. I'm like, okay, thanks for coming to the party. We, we appreciate you showed up late. Um, but but it, it's, <laughs> awesome. it's, it's a combination of both. We're, we're not mm -hmm. here to micromanage. You know, it's, right. here, here's a great example. No one should have to feel anxiety or stressed out that if they have a doctor's appointment at 11 a.m. and we all know we've all been there you go to the doctor thinking you're going to be there 30 minutes and next thing you know you've you've had a two-hour doctor appointment and because you've been waiting for an hour and a half of it and no one should have to have anxiety or be stressed out in those moments great your doctor's appointment with two hours no problem Here's, here's our measurement of success at, at Scribe. Are you performing in your role? Are you driving results? Are you living by the principles and values? And then we say, hey, you know what? We would like to see you in the office two to three days a week. If, you, if it's two, great. If it's three, great. We have people that are in here every day. They love coming in. Beautiful. But there's no micromanagement. There's no, oh, hey, Chris, um, it's 8.02. I'm going to need you to make up those two minutes at the end of the day. No, it, it just, it doesn't, if you've got a child's event, play uh, soccer game, whatever, and you're gone from 1 PM to, to 6 PM. Great. Do you, how was the game that that's going to be my question to you. So what we, what's the proof point for us is that our culture was, was seamlessly, uh, uh, transition to the virus disruption because it's always been this way. And, and all we did when, when we had to make the announcement to go shelter in place, we said, Hey, anyone who needs a monitor, a chair, anything you want to take from the office to take home, to make it more comfortable for you, do your thing, come into the office, get it. Cause we're going to shut it down in two days. You got 48 hours and people were taking monitors, chairs and everything else home. And it was, <laughs> mm, it was great. I remember that. Yeah. So I want to ask you about, about profitability. You said that your, your organization is, is profitable. Um, and I want to kind of tether this, this culture that you've created and that you're building. And that's, you said it's the number one culture in America. Right. Yeah. Uh, entrepreneur. It? What? A couple of years ago. Was it two years? One year? Eight, two years ago. Uh, entrepreneur Magazine named us the top company culture in America. Wow. So first of all, congratulations. That's incredible. Thank you, um, sir. 
And, and, and secondly, I'm wondering how that, how you've seen a direct correlation between culture and profitability, because I think some organizations, they, they may have a, a, a different interpretation of what culture is, first of all, in regards to perks and benefits. But second of all, they usually don't tether or connect in any capacity culture to profitability and actually moving the needle for the organization. So I'm wondering if you have, number one, seen a correlation and what that looks like for Scribe. Man, oh, okay. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> we going up to the roof now? We went oh, to the basement. Are we going to the roof? We're, uh, we're going to the pulpit now. Ooh. Um, I, okay, so I, I, I'm simple. Not, not a lot academically going on up here. So I, I keep things very simple. People process profits. Hmm. That's it. Put people first. If you have great people, you can build great process. You can make great profits. And as a bonus, you can do great things for the communities that you serve. We live in a society now where capitalism has become demonized. And that's sad. Because capitalism literally has given me the lifestyle that, that I have. It has given me the, the, the career, the, the, the blessings. I, I come from less than nothing. And capitalism has given, capitalism sends my kids to private Christian school. Capitalism has allowed me to live in a gated community. And what I don't understand, what, what's funny is we demonize capitalism. But, but watch this. When nonprofits want money for their organization, who do they go to? The capitalists. <laughs> when, when the government wants to, and, and this isn't a left or right, okay? So the take left and right out of this. But when the government needs to pay for a massive infrastructure bill, where do they go to raise taxes? The capitalists. So I, I find it interesting that we demonize capitalism when, when we need money, that's where we're going is to, to the capitalists. Now, capitalism left unchecked, yeah, it, it's, it's a bad thing. You know, we, we should be doing uh, good for the communities in, in which we serve. But I, it, for me, it all starts with people. You put people first. You build great, great, you hire great people, you build great process, you make great profits, and then you can do great things for the communities you serve. And, and I've been challenged so many times. People are like, no, you know what? It starts with, with a great process. And my pushback is you can have a flawless process. You put bad pe people in it, they will wreck your shit. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it all starts with, with putting people first. So, John, I know you mentioned about capitalism and being demonized, but do you think the capitalism of today is really out to put people first or put shareholders first? Because I think that's the problem. Um, the I, definition it, of capitalism has changed. It, it's changed because we've allowed it to change. Companies have, have changed it. Even now, I, I think this term is, is BS. We try to put a little polish on it and call it stakeholder capitalism. Don't try to put a pretty word in front of it and, and, and buff it up and like, see, look, you know, no. The fact of the matter is, especially if you're a publicly traded company, most publicly traded companies, they need to just come out and admit what it is. Hey, we put shareholders above everything. Right. Think about it. For, for most publicly traded companies, their employees are actually number three on the list. It's mm -hmm. shareholders. Mm -hmm 
customers, mm. employees. And, and if they just came out and admitted it, great. At least everyone knows where they stand. Now, <laughs> I, did, I disagree with the order. I still believe you, you put people first. You can, you can build incredible companies putting right. people first. You know, is, is, is it going to, um, I, I found this interesting. I, I, I believe you all remember this. Isn't it interesting that if you go back about five years, we were just arguing about raising minimum wage to $10 an hour. It was 10. Like no, no one seems to remember that just five years ago, we were arguing about $10 an hour. Then all of a sudden, Amazon said, mm, you know what? We're going straight to 15. And then everyone, the Walmart was like, oh, shit, they called us off guard. We got to go to 11. <laughs> and, and, and then every, every, everyone started scrambling to try to catch up to, to Amazon. And then all of a sudden, $15 an hour became the benchmark of minimum wage should be $15 an hour. What I found interesting, though, is back when we were talking about $10 an hour, the absolutely insane arguments people were making against it. I'm like, okay, people, let's do the math here. $10 an hour, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. So I said 52, that means you no, no vacation. $10 an hour, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year is $20,800 before taxes. And we're arguing about this? Mm. Come on. And, and yeah. so... I, I just look at, and, and maybe this has been a benefit for me in life. Mm. I've come from nothing and I've managed to work hard, believe and achieve uh, my definition of success. Everybody has their own definition. I've achieved my definition of success. And it's, it's really enabled me to see the world from all the different lenses, from a, a race perspective, from an economic perspective, from a class perspective. And that has been such a, a blessing for me because I, I can see the world from many different views. Makes sense. No, I, 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 I think something you hit there about community, I think is what uh, companies can extend beyond, right? Like by putting your people first, you are serving your community. But when, when you put shareholders first, um, and you know, people third, then community isn't, you know, you're, you're not going to benefit the communities that you belong to and that you're hiring people from. So I think putting people first automatically helps serving the community. So I like what you said about that. Like it's corporations and companies have to prioritize people first, because that's how you serve the very communities that you set up shop in, because it's our responsibility to give back to the communities as well, for sure. If, if, if you all are going to uh, uh, allow me to, to really go down into the basement and, and, and go into a, a rant on this, here, here's, a, here's a couple of things uh, I'll, I'll talk about. So here we're, we're in Austin, Texas, and we're on the east side of Austin, which I don't know, five, seven, ten years ago was considered the bad side of town. And I, I laugh now because in most cities you go to, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard is in the bad side of town. Here, there's a restaurant called Sour Duck in a in a in a coffee shop on the other corner. It's not the bad side of town anymore. It's been it's been gentrified. But 
there's still pockets of low income communities with, with where we are. And so when we first moved in, we found the, the elementary school that was by us. And we went in, I said, here's what we're going to do. And this is public knowledge. Any company can do this. You go in, you go in uh, because it's, it's free lunch and you find out what's the percentage of free lunch that this school receives. And the school that we found was 97%. So that meant 97% of these kids receive free lunch. So, you know, it's a low economic community. So, and and again, man, I grew up on on free government lunch. So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's go over, let's get the supply list for, it was an elementary school. I think they had like 430 kids. Let's get the supply list for uh, K through fifth grade. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy backpacks and the supply list for every kid in the school. And here's what it cost us, $18,000. You're gonna tell me that corporate America can't find $18,000 to buy supplies for elementary schools each year? And, and here's, here's what's just insane about it. Hmm. You have a office tribe building moment because people get to stuff the backpacks and they're like, oh, wow, okay, you know, I'm putting this in and, and, and they see what you, so you've got, you got a, 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 you're building as a unit as well. You're coming together. Then you're doing for the community. And what I find interesting about this, think about our, our society. We have the nerve to say education is the key. Education is the key. Most of these kids don't even have the tools to get the education and you're yelling education. I was that third grade kid that got bussed across town from the the low income community to the white suburban school. But guess what? When I showed up and I was sitting next to Billy, Billy had the Spider-Man backpack, the Spider-Man folder, the Spider-Man lunchbox, the Spider-Man pencils. Hell, I thought he was Spider-Man. And (laughs) and so (laughs) I thought he was going to shoot web out of that. I was like, oh, damn, Billy. So, but, but what was interesting is then the teacher said, who needs a pencil? I raised my hand. Who needs a piece of paper? I raised my hand. I didn't have any of the supplies. The the audacity of us to preach that education is the key when some of these kids aren't even showing up with, with the tools to be able to get an education. You know, we, during the virus disruption, all of the suburbs were arguing about, oh, in-person versus virtual. Hey, you know what? That's a luxury argument to be made because there's 7 million kids in America that don't have Internet access, don't have an iPad, don't have a laptop. And guess what? No one's talking about those kids. What about them? They're already left behind because they go to shitty schools anyway. Now they're left further behind. So the, the, my last part on this, and, and I'll shut up, um, you know, we, we make arguments about corporate tax breaks. Again, man, I, I full transparency. I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't vote for Biden. Um, and so I'm not a, I'm not a left or right. I'm what's best. What's best for the country? That's that's what I'm after. What's best for people? Um, but we argue about corporate tax breaks in this country. Oh, corporate America shouldn't have tax breaks and they're too big. They're too small. They're okay. Great. Here's who should get tax breaks. Massive ones. How about whole foods goes down to the low economic communities and sets up a store. And here's why it's a damn shame that in this country, low economic communities can tell you what a food desert is, but they can't tell you what organic food is. So 
for me, how about Whole Foods goes in, sets up a store in a low economic community? Now, I'm a business guy. Like I said, the word nonprofit actually hurts me to say that's a bad word. Um, <laughs> I, I don't do nonprofit. So I understand Whole Foods is like, hey, that's not a profitable move for us. Great. That's why we're talking tax breaks, because here's what we want you to do. We know you're not going to be as profitable. We, we recognize that. We acknowledge it. We see you. So we're going to give you huge tax breaks because here's what you're going to do. You're going to introduce a community to organic food. But more importantly, here's what you're going to do. You're going to break generational poverty. And people are like, how's that? Because now that mom, that single parent, that dad may have a job they can go to each day. And now they can set an example for their child to see, look, dad, mom went to work each day to work hard. And then they have an example of here's what you do. Oh, and, and by the way, we're going to set up a Starbucks too. And we're going to give them massive tax breaks because you know why? Starbucks has a 401k education reimbursement. So, hey, Starbucks pays well. So now we're going to have another example of mom and dad going to work. And now we can break that generational poverty because Billy or Sue, or better yet, because my name's Javon, Ravante Martavius can see that their mom went to work each day. And this is the example that was set for them all because Whole Foods came down and set up a, a, a location and we gave them massive tax breaks for doing it. Nice. And you just brought up an, uh, a conversation that I've been waiting to get into, which is names. Um, and we talk about <laughs> diversity and inclusion, <laughs> the full term. Um, and earlier you said like it was the hard work, but also you recognize that nobody is a self-made man. And so I like to, especially with a person of color, right? When we say hard work as people of color, it's, it's not always understood. There's, there's barriers that could be faced that make that work a little bit harder than maybe the next person. And so um, I know that we had a conversation about your name in particular, but you know, I would love for you to sort of share from your experience, what is the importance of names when it comes to belonging inclusion? Because there are so many people who just refuse to learn people's names, refuse to learn how to pronounce people's names. It's a running joke inside of software, to be honest, around name pronunciation. <laughs> but, you know, I want to throw it to you and see, you know, what's your perspective and take. So, wow. Chris, you know, so back in my early 20s, guys, I'm 49. And so back in my early 20s, when I was starting off my career, I would try to get on people's calendars. I try to land some appointments. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. One gentleman was kind enough to, to get on a call with me one day. And his first question to me was, hey, how did you get a black first name and an Irish last name? Now, if you all recall, I told you, I don't know where my last name comes from. So immediately I was like, holy shit, my last name's Irish. This is amazing. <laughs> and, and so, I was like, this is awesome. And, and I hung up the call and, I, and, it, and it hit me. I was like, oh, they're seeing my name and they're going black guy. They're not giving me any appointments. So my full name is Javon Thomas McCormick. So I made the decision. I said, I'm going to start going by JT. JT McCormick, you don't know who that is. I'll be damned the next week, calendar lit up, appointments, it, it, you know, got on people's calendars. I was like, wow, okay. So I'll edit myself if this is, you know, these are the rules of society. And I, and, and I, I coined this phrase for myself. I didn't create society. 
I just made the rules work for me. And so I was whatever I needed to be to get to wherever I was going. But for the last, hmm, man, what, 30 years, I've been JT McCormick. And then last year when the George Floyd murder happened, it really disturbed me how shallow we as a country went. And when I say shallow, you had people, oh, blackout, uh, social media, blackout Tuesday, I'm in support. No, you're not. You're doing it because you don't want to get called out. And, and I'm like, <laughs> and, and people ask me, like in the company, they're like, are, are we going to blackout social media? Hell no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do something just for a shallow uh, appearance of support. And I'm like, that that's a joke. Uh, blackout Tuesday to, to show that you support. Ah, get out of here with that. And then we started arguing about a syrup bottle. A damn syrup. I'm like, what, what the hell does this do to change <laughs> and move society forward? <laughs> so the article that jumped out to me, though, was I read a piece that said that there were only three black Fortune 500 CEOs. And I was like, oh, wow, interesting. So I went and looked at their names. Kenneth Frazier, Marvin Ellison, and Roger Ferguson. Three very ethnic-free names. Then I went and looked and I said, oh, the wealthiest black man in America is named Robert Smith. Wow. Four very ethnic-free names. And I sat back and I said to myself, okay, I made it to the CEO chair. I'm going to start going by Javon. Hmm. And I made the decision, not for myself. I, I had built a career as JT. I didn't make the decision for myself. I made the decision for every kid that comes from the communities I come from, Martavius, Ravante, Laquanda, Lucretia. I made the decision for them with, with a goal, the goal that one day, one day, maybe you'll be able to work in corporate America and you can work next to a Javon and not just a JT. And that's why I made the, the decision to, to reclaim my name and, and go by Javon. I'd love to share a story about my name. So as you know, my name is Mohammed, and uh, it's not a very uh, popular name in the world since 9-11 or even before that. So something that has I faced because of my name is very clearly at the airports, I get, I my, my boarding passes don't get issued. I cannot check in online. And whenever I come back into the country, I get pulled into a secondary investigation room. Um, and there's this one time that I just, I was tired after a 27 hour journey. And, you know, I got pulled into a room for two and a half hours of like, they call it secondary investigation. And uh, I got talking to the, the custom border control officer and he kind of started interrogating me like in a slight way, like, so what's your education and what's your degree? Why, what was the purpose for your travel? What does your company do? And things like that. And he's like, where do you live? And I'm like, I live in this part of town. And it turned out he lived in the same neighborhood. So he, he then like broke that whole interrogation officer mode and then uh, started to talk to me like he, you know, over in the same neighborhood and stuff like that. So when he got friendly, I ultimately asked him, I said, hey, can you help me understand why do I keep getting pulled into the room? Like there's like, I just keep having trouble at the airports. I knew there was a suspicion that it had to do with my name. And ultimately he was like, Mohammed, 
it's your name, man. I'm sorry. You, it's your name. That's how you get pulled in here. There's no other reason for it. And I was like, how do I make sure that I don't come into this situation or be pulled into the room? And he's like, you should change your name, man. And I'm like, okay, that ain't going to happen. I ain't going to change my name. But, you know, I didn't tell him that. Right. I was like, okay, you know, I'll come into the, I'll, I'll get pulled in two and a half hours, miss my connecting site, do whatever, but I ain't going to change my name. Yeah. Because while the media and everybody may have misrepresented a person who's named Muhammad and what, you know, what they stand for, whatever it is, I'm like committed to making sure people know I am Muhammad and I am a person of color and I'm Muslim and a proud Muslim American. And you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to change my name and this is who I am. And so like I've committed to myself that I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and prove to the people out there that a person by the name Muhammad doesn't have to be who you think they are because of the media or the news and so forth. So I don't know, you just, you just triggered me to like kind of share that because I'm very passionate about this name conversation. And, uh, you know, some people call me Mo, but every time I introduce myself, I'm like, I'm not going to make it easy for them. I'm going to say my name right. is Muhammad. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people in my community that had just changed their names. They, they, Oh, call me Ike, call me this. When they do that, the minute they do it, I'm like, that guy's name isn't this. I know yeah. his real name is something else. But, but I'm like, you don't need to be ashamed of your name or try to fit in or assimilate. Like, let people know who you are. Like, your name is your identity. And if they don't accept you, that's on them. But I'm going to change for others. Like, so it's just, despite the inconvenience that comes with it. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. Man. Hey, welcome down to the pulpit. Oh, I'm telling you, like I've had, I've had an incident at an airport where in front of everyone in the security line, I was pulled aside, taken to a room, asked to take off clothes, take my clothes off. And they took a bomb, um, like kind of a, a thing that they, they test for chemicals. And the guy is like, I have to run it inside of your underwear to, make sure that you don't have any you know explosives on you and sure they took me into the room and gave me privacy but there were three guys there yeah. who were like surrounding me like i'm gonna like do something and you know i've gone through those experiences and I mean, i'll tell you it's dehumanizing it makes my heart is racing in the moment um i don't know what to make out of the situation i'm scared i'm like, I haven't done anything. Am I in trouble? Um, it makes you feel really belittles you and like makes you feel like really low in that moment. But, you know, I come out of all of the situation like, you know what? I'm going to make it more difficult for you. I'm going to go get my pilot's license <laughs> and I'm going to like learn how to fly a plane and I'm going to come through these airports and you better freaking get me through the security <laughs> lines. Give me my boarding cards. Take me through the immigration lines. I don't care, but you ain't going to stop me from my freedom to do whatever the hell I want. And I don't care if I'm Muhammad. I don't care if I'm Muslim. You ain't stopping me from pursuing my dreams. And that's been like my determination. <laughs> Muhammad, <laughs> Ma Muhammad said, <laughs> he's, that was a whole different level. He said, I'm getting my pilot's license. He did. What's he really up? did. And, and you want to know another funny thing? He did. Thing? I'm... I was born in Saudi Arabia. Come on. Named Muhammad. 
with a pilot's license and I decide to go marry a Russian. I'll do anything oh, wow. to like challenge <laughs> oh, the wow. norm of what people think. That's very true. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, I'm being inspired by all the CEOs in this conversation. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Man, I, I'm, I, I'm sitting here like, hey, my dad was just a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. Like, <laughs> Muhammad's got pilot licenses, Russian wide. Uh, my, my dad was a pimp. That's all I got. Guys. I feel like we're getting into mafia territory yeah, now. And that's where old, Frank comes in. Yeah. That's where that that Italian kind of Dana. You know, I'm just kidding. We're not going to talk about the uh, the Italian. Well, we're not going to talk about it because we're out of time, unfortunately. <laughs> and and this just means Javon, we're going to have to welcome you back for another session because this was this was more than enjoyable and muhammad just arrived at the pulpit as we hit zero as the clock hit zero so maybe next time we'll warm him up a little bit no kidding man i didn't know if, if i would have known that you know i could have gone down the name pad, I, let's blame chris chris took too long to bring this up <laughs> <laughs> you know, i mean if i know we could have sparked muhammad like an hour ago come on now yeah I, i'm like oh damn he just he just went Pilot on on me. He went Muhammad <laughs> pilot 9-11 and, 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 and stared at the camera. Like, he up? stared us down. <laughs> he, stared, he really did stare us all down. Yeah. I, that was that that was a, a, oh, you know, hold on. I, I'm gonna step away. I gotta go talk to my Russian wife for a second. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Olympian. And with that, I think Javon earned an honorary seat inside of Softplay by blaming me. I think that's what the, the <laughs> you fit right in with everybody else on the, on this podcast. Oh so. goodness. Hey, hey Chris, now here, here's the here's the part that you get. Blame the black guy. Yeah. <laughs> that is not even how this works. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Javon, I, 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 on behalf of all of us, thank you so much for joining us today. This was an amazing conversation. It was such an amazing opportunity to get to know you, hear about Scribe, talk about all sorts of other topics. This is a great, the now hour and eight minutes has flown by like wonderfully. So thank you so much for your time, Javon. Thank you for joining us today. Hey guys, I, I appreciate it. Uh, truly humbled, uh, flattered. And, you know, if everything ends always put people first just just always always put people first i don't give a damn if your name is muhammad javon put people first we couldn't agree more thank you so much and here at love as a business strategy we're posting new episodes every tuesday so if there's any topics or any feedback you have for us hit us up at software.com labs l-a-a-b-s and if you liked what you heard today please do share with a friend leave us a review subscribe etc etc and with that, thank you, Muhammad, Chris, and Frank for joining as well. And hopefully we'll see Javon back soon because there's just clearly we just got started. So thank you for this time, everybody, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>